If you have your Bibles, let's hold those up and uh, let's share as we do each Sunday. I'm a child of God. I have in my hand the powerful Word of God. It can change lives, heal broken hearts, save man's soul. And here's our prayer. Lord Jesus, today, would you speak to me? In Jesus' name, amen. Now give a high five or a pound your neighbor. Let them know they're loved in the Lord. Amen, amen, amen. All right. We are leading up into Easter. Can you believe Easter is three weeks away? It'll be uh, here on the 23rd of March. It's early this year. Our prayer vigil is, uh, begins at 6 p.m. on Friday night, Good Friday, and goes till 6 a.m. Resurrection Sunday morning. And for 36 continuous hours, we're going to ask you to come here to the church. We have our prayer rooms. We'll have it set up. We'll want you to come in that back door. And uh, it'll be great, and we're going to spend some time in prayer. We'll have 30-minute prayer slots for you to, to volunteer to come and pray. The toughest slots, obviously, are those wee hours of the morning. So if you're one of those people that uh, has a hard time sleeping at night, those are your hours. We want you to come, <laughs> and you pray. And uh, you'll be safe here. We've never had an incident. We've never had a situation. I always call the police and tell them what we're doing, and uh, uh, they assure me that they circle the building probably once every 12 hours, but at least they, they at least circle the building. And uh, we're, praise God for that. So that's coming up. I want you to be aware of that. Uh, Russell's doing a wonderful job with our children, and uh, we're excited about what uh, he's bringing. Worship team did a great job today, didn't they? Amen. Very proud of them as well. Uh, Lindsay and Ed are in uh, Wichita, Kansas at a baby shower this weekend, so that's uh, where they're at. But uh, somebody shoot them a note this week and or call and tell them they were missed. Here. Who, can I get somebody to do that, two or three of you, who will call them? There's one, there's two, good deal. Great deal. Call them. That's what I want to see. How about uh, Steve and Shelly? We haven't seen them in a couple weeks. Somebody call Steve and Shelly. Who will do that? There's one. I need two. There's two. Good deal. Call. There's three. I'll take that one. How about Peggy Harrison? Somebody, two or three of you, call Peggy Harrison this week. Come on. There's one. I need two more. Call Peggy and say we miss you. Two. There's all. I got them. Great. Call them. Tell them, hey, we're missing you. Where you at? Brad and Darlene, where are they at? I didn't see them. Where are they at today? Brad's back there. Where's Darlene at? Well, we can't brag on our coach if she ain't here. What's the deal? Going into practicing basketball. There you go. They're going into the state uh, playoffs so, uh, next week. So I think they're probably checking to see who they, where they play and who they play and what have you. So it's Thursday, next Thursday. Boy, you're already ahead of me, brother. He happened to bring in a clipping for us. Okay, great. I'm telling you, Jim is her PR person, that's for sure. Praise God. I asked her, I said, uh, Darlene, you needing anything? And she goes, well, my laptop isn't working good. I said, all you got to do is say something. I'll guarantee you'll have eight laptops. They'll give them to you out there. They love you. What's that? Well, they're going to Oklahoma City now to play So this, this week. So if you want to take a road trip, uh, that'd be great. She's got a, a team that's incredible to watch. So I call them the thoroughbreds. They're something. Oof. There's something. When they're, when they're playing, it's, I don't know if NBA can beat them. That's pretty good. That's it. Boy, listen. Listen to that guy. <laughs> he said that about me a couple of times, too. I was just thrilled. I was just, I was thrilled. I better get to preaching before we really get in trouble, though. Leading up to Easter is a great time for evangelism. And so for the next several weeks, I want to talk about evangelism and why it's important for us to be evangelists. Uh, our vision statement for our church over on the wall is, would you read it for me? 
And it's found where? That is our vision. <clears throat> Why are we here? We're to seek and save the lost. We want to be a part of the mission that God's called us to be a part of. Amen? We want to bring people to Christ. We want to lead them to Christ. We want to do our best to do our, our, our best to get them there. But this morning I want to talk to you about complete joy. Complete joy being a motive, a motivation for evangelism. If you have your Bibles, turn to 1 John chapter 1. We're going to look at verses 1 through 4. I'm going to be reading out of the NIV. So for most of you, you're going to be right along with me. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, we have seen it and testified to it. We proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. Write, we write this to make our joy complete. What a great way to end that little section in that, with that passage. Which leads me to ask you a question. Do you have complete joy? Do you have it? Now, for me, last week, complete joy was sitting with my granddaughter, and I wanted so much to be able to show you the picture of me and her bonding together. We made connection this week. She laughed at me, and she, like Cindy does, she laughed at me. Um, maybe it's okay. But anyway, we had a great time. And I got a chance to spend four days with my granddaughter. That's the first girl in our group. Before, Miss, before uh, Misty married Jeff, we didn't have any girls around except Cindy and our dog. And Cindy rated a whole lot higher than the dog. And Cindy still rates really high. I'm getting deep, aren't I? I love that guy right there. Jim, could you take him outside? <clears throat> Do you have complete joy? All, you know, growing up raising kids, I, hear, I would hear grandparents say, hey, this is the greatest thing, having grandchildren. And I used to say to myself, yeah, 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 yeah. They are right. I've been in repentance all week. They are wonderful. It was hard to leave. She should have been in the truck with me coming back to Jinx. And uh, hopefully in a couple weeks on spring break, they're going to get to come down and and Cindy will get to spend some quality time with her. I'm sure she's going to ask for me when she gets here, but, you know, I'll defer. But do you have complete joy? Do you have it? Do you possess the promise declared by the angels at the birth of Christ, which included good news of great joy? The sad reality is that great joy seems rare in our time in our culture even though we have the greatest comforts resources material blessings very few people even christians claim to be living in complete joy full of joy tucked away in the back of the new testament and overshadowed by 
some of those majestic truths of Christian faith is a key to experiencing the fullness of joy. The key is not only brings joy, but it, it provides powerful motivating force to get us to consider and to be involved in evangelism. John boldly, clearly states that his personal and complete joy is made possible by sharing with others the message of Christ. In verse 4 of our text, look what it says. We write this so that our joy may be complete, may be made complete. He reaffirms that truth in the third epistle of John and verse 4 when he says, I have no greater joy than to know that my children are walking in truth. Could it be that the missing puzzle or missing piece to the puzzle in your life and in my life for complete joy it could be centered around the fact that we're not sharing the good news? You see, first of all, we have to accept permission. Accept permission. Some translations mistakenly translate verse 4 to say, your joy instead of our joy to emphasize the blessing of a lost soul who receives forgiveness of sin and the gift of eternal life. But I think God was right on target when He wrote what He did in verse 4. He says, This fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. You see, you need to accept the permission. In 1 Thessalonians 2 and verse 20, it says, You are our glory and our joy. The Apostle Paul echoed that time and time again. Because you see, when someone comes to the Lord, there is no greater joy that comes into your life when you're a part of that process. And have you ever been there? The first time I baptized a young person at church camp, I was 17 years old, and I had been a worker at church camp, and I had uh, worked with this young person, and they accepted Christ that week and wanted me to do the baptizing instead of the preacher. Well, man, I was scared to death. I had no idea what that meant to do. I knew there was water involved. I knew I went in the water, but I didn't know beyond that what I was supposed to do with them. I didn't know if you're supposed to hold them under until the bubbles quit coming up, then you get all the sin out of their life. I didn't know if you put a father and then the son and then the Holy Spirit. I didn't know what you did. So, so this preacher pulled me aside. He showed me how to hold them and not lose them and not drop them and not drown them. And, but then he said after I got through, when I came up out of the water, I you know, just had this joy on my face. And he said, you know, it's just like Lay's potato chips. And I thought, what in the world? He said, you can't do just one of these. I've never forgotten that. I was 17 years old. What a tremendous uh, impact in my life. Winning people to Christ, seeing them come to the Lord, you will never have a greater joy, ever. And especially when you get to go into the water and be with them, be a part of it. No greater joy. No greater joy. And, and sometimes we struggle. I know I do sometimes struggling with the fact that, you know, because we're not supposed to brag and we're not supposed to take credit but God in His infinite wisdom allows us to be motivated and, and an incentive to motivate us to evangelism in the fact that you and I get some joy from it. You and I get a blessing too. You and I get to receive something. And I, I got to thinking, is that principle true? And I started looking through Scripture. And, uh, uh, um, uh, and, and, and sometimes people perceive that uh, you know, we're being selfish because we say, wow, man, isn't this great? But we're challenged to bring the tithe to the storehouse. And in bringing the tithe to the storehouse, what does the Bible teach? That God will open the windows of heaven to us. All right? There's some motivation for us. 
Bring it. Bring your money. You can't outgive him. Go ahead. I think we should have give it all Sunday and just bring it all and bring it all and just give it all. Well, what you going to do with all of it? Well, I don't know yet. We'll figure out what to do with it. Once we have that $14 million, then we can figure out what to do with it. I had, I had our anonymous donor come by the other day. Brought a check. I know what's happened. He's been to the casino. And that's okay. He said that first thing he said is, what are you praying for, preacher? I said, well, I need $25,000 to put a, an LED digital sign out here in the front. He said, well, I'm heading to Harris in Vegas. I said, bring it back, brother. Bring it back. I don't mind God blessing him. I can spend that devil money just as good as anybody else. Amen? I just said use on something good, wouldn't you? Jesus exhorted his followers to lay up for themselves treasures in heaven. We're supposed to do that because there's a blessing waiting for us, right? Even the Old Testament character of Jabez, he prayed that God would bless him and abundantly and enlarge his territory. Now here's the principle in Scripture. It is permissible and even prescribed for believers to personally benefit from ministry that is done for God's glory. It's okay when you can walk away from a ministry time, a ministry opportunity, and feel good. Something good's happened to you. I tell you, every time I go to John 3.16, as honoring as those people are coming to eat, as ungrateful as they may appear and seem, there will always be at least one that looks at you and says, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And that's worth the whole trip, to have that one person say, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Having a long-term ministry in one place gives you some really incredible opportunities. And one of my first trips to John 3.16, I saw a teenager, probably in his early 20s at that point, when I saw him, but he had been a teenager here in Jinx and in this high school. And in my involvement at the school and different things in the community, his path and my path crossed. And I hadn't seen him for some time until that night at John 3.16. And he was in line getting food. Well, that told me two things. Number one, he was on the street. And number two, he was in need of somebody to encourage him. And big old grin came on his face, and he said, he said, Coach, that's what he calls me, Coach. He said, I'm a graduate of John 3.16. I said, I am so proud of you. And I hugged him. And he didn't smell very good, but I hugged him, and I said, I'm so proud of you. And uh, tried to get him a little extra food, too. That was, that, I thought that was important. But it's okay. It's okay, and it's permissible to benefit from the ministry that's done to God's glory. It's okay. Now, I'm not saying hoard it, and I'm not saying let your pride take over and you start taking credit, but it's okay to receive that blessing that God has in store for us. Secondly, we need to announce the promise. John clearly states in these first four verses of 1 John 1 that his message, he has a message to share. In verse 1, he says that. Like the angels, he says, declared to shepherds on Christmas Day. His message is good news of great joy to you is born this day in the city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord, right? We read it every Christmas. We get excited and enthused about it. But you see, we ought to keep talking about it. Amen? You're supposed to, that's all, I'll pause and let you say amen. And away, you're on it now. Here we go. John shares the message of eternal life that enables disconnected people to connect with God and with others. We live in a society that debates or considers numerous, often very serious issues, 
Some of those issues include terrorism, border control, health care, education, economics, aging parents, marriage struggles, environmental issues. But I want you to know something. There were major issues that dominated the news in the first century. Things such as political upheaval, religious opposition, competing philosophies, economic challenges, moral decline. And don't miss the point I'm trying to make here. There was a lot of things that John could have written about. He could have talked about. But he chose to share the message of eternal life. You may have an opinion about the hot topic of the day. You may be either for Hillary or Obama or for John McCain. You may, it doesn't matter where you are. And believe me, there's a plenty of conversation going on about all of that stuff. You can decide whether you're for uh, terrorism or not, whether you want them in Iraq or out of Iraq. You can decide whether uh, the economy is in the, in the dumps or it's on the uprise. You can decide if the interest rate needs to be cut or not cut. Up and down, here we go. Hi-ya. You can do all that stuff and spend and waste a lot of your time on it. Amen? Or you can choose to be productive about the message of Christ. Woo! Because, folks, it doesn't matter who's leading what. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter who's elected because you know why? Because my king is already on the throne. My king sits on the throne. If you want oppression, if you want oppression, just keep following the man, but don't follow the man. And you'll have oppression. But he chose to share the message of eternal life. Your vocation or your training may provide you a level of expertise in a particular area, but the child of God is commanded to share the message of eternal life. Get about that business, folks. Get about that business. And, and would you please understand that I'm not suggesting that we live as ignorant people about the issues that affect our lives. We need to be informed. We need to be very informed. One of the things I believe that's a real struggle for our culture is that Christians have removed themselves from the public arena, so much so they don't hear us anymore. They don't hear us anymore. So I would encourage you to consider getting back involved. I'm not saying Christian schools are wrong. I'm just saying that we've removed ourselves and placed ourselves in little, in little huddles of Christianity that we're not affecting the world anymore. They don't hear our voice. We need to get back in the middle of them. We need to pray for them. And we need to get back in the middle of them and start to share. Are they going to attack you? Absolutely. Jesus said, so they persecuted those who've gone before you. Have you suffered unto death yet? Not yet. Hebrews 12, 4 says, when you start shedding blood for Christ, then you can whine and complain. Last time I looked, none of us have shed blood yet. Now I know you stubbed your toe at the church and, 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 your, and your hangnail started bleeding. I understand that. That ain't what I'm talking about. I'm talking about them putting you in jail because you're preaching Jesus. Happened to you yet? All right, till then, let's get on with it. Amen? We've got a freedom here. Let's do it. Let's take advantage of it. Our mission is to share the message of eternal life, not to be an expert on cultural issues. We open a door of great joy by knowing and fulfilling our purpose to announce the promise of eternal life. And then thirdly, appreciate the process. Understand that it's okay to witness as a means to experience more joy. The more you witness, the more joy you see. Well, preacher, every time I talk about Jesus, nobody listens. They will. And you don't know if they're not listening. Because you see, some of us will water, some of us will plant, but God is the one who will bring the increase. And you may not know until years later 
that something you said way back when affected somebody's life way up there. Taught that Sunday school class when only one kid came. And you thought, man, what a waste of time. I have prepared all week long and there's only one kid here. Pour everything you got into that one kid. Because you don't know. You don't know when the next Billy Graham's going to rise. You don't know when the next Corey Tenboom's going to rise. You don't know that. When Bill Bright's going to rise, you don't know that. And so we need to approach this as an opportunity to share the message with Christ. Amen? And if we'll do that with enthusiasm, that kid will forever be changed. You don't know when that may be the next president sitting right there in your Sunday school class. You don't know. You don't know. So let's do what we can for the kingdom of God and appreciate the process. Evangelism is not a program, nor is it an event. Joyous evangelism is a process. Notice in this text that John uses several terms to describe his evangelistic effort. He reveals that he testifies, he proclaims, and he writes. Evangelism for John was more than a, uh, more like a buffet instead of an entree with a limited menu. He used several different methods to get the message to those who needed it. Some of you have Bible studies at lunchtime at your jobs. I'm so proud of you. Do that. Why not? Well, I, 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 I don't know if they have one of those. Ask around. There's others wanting to know too. Find out. I know you've got to hide in the closet because you don't want anybody to see you over there. But come out of the closet. Sit in the lunchroom. Sit in the break room where all of them are. It might rub off on somebody. You never know. Amen? You just never know. But to never do it, I'll guarantee you, it won't rub off on anybody. But he used several different methods. Personal testimony is different than public proclamation. Writing takes more time and would certainly appeal to a significantly smaller group of literate seekers. But part of John's joy came from a variety of methods. Yeah, I love sitting at Starbucks. I just don't like their coffee. I just love to sit in Starbucks and watch people who do like their coffee. I mean, they'll come in and pay $49 for a cup of coffee. These people are nuts. And to listen to them order, it's even more fun. Yeah, when I go in there, and I, and I do, I'll drink their coffee. I'll say, I just want, and I have to tell them, I say, I just want plain, mild, don't grab me, throw me on the floor coffee. That's how I describe it. And she, hands, she looks at me like, and hands me a cup. And I'm going, so I have to go pump it myself. What? But then the one behind me is, I want a caramel latte, but okay, I love what I yell what I cast I mean, that's what it sounded like to me. I don't know what they were ordering. But man, it comes out and it's got this froth stuff and it's got this design, it's got a little tree design in it. I'm going, how'd they do that? And I look at that and say, Well, that's a pretty drink. I'd like to have that found at $25. Get out of here. Wow. And I go over to Quick Trip and get me a dollar ninety-nine. What's going on? But I love to sit in there and watch people. I love to go to the mall and watch people, don't you? I don't go to the buffet very often. But when I do, I love to watch people. Because people get to that buffet line and they believe that they own it. And they'll get around the meat. Hey, this is mine. I mean, they got forks in their hand. They stab somebody to come up there and try to get a piece of meat. Uh-uh. It's mine. But you got to appreciate the process. And you got to work the way, what you can do and make it work because the fruit of evangelism will come as the work of evangelism happens. Consider the image that Jesus used for evangelism when he instructed Peter to become a fisher of men. You know, a lot of churches have men that love to fish and they're 
in their churches. Uh, when I was in Illinois, we had a gentleman in our church, one of the deacons there. He was one of these, uh, uh, he liked to do tournament fishing, and he would be gone. And he always told me, he said, you know, preacher, from 10 to noon, I don't catch any fish on any Sunday. And I'd always grin, and I took that as a chance. I said, well, you know why, don't you, brother? Well, yeah, I guess I should be in church. I said, that's right, you should be. And you're out there on that lake. What, do I, what, what can I say to you? You know, but hey, I'm glad he got the chance to go. Worked hard, all those things. I'm glad he got to be out there. But I mean, this guy was avid about it. You know what I'm talking about? I mean, he spent a lot of money on boats and on equipment and on sonars and radars and, and satellite dishes, <laughs> anything to find the fish. And he had, uh, I don't know how those things work. You got to catch a whole bunch and get more weight. Is that how it works? Any of you know how to do all that? I don't know how that works. But man, how excited he was. That guy was enthused about his chance to go fishing. Like I am in August and September when football rolls around. There's nothing on TV to watch now. Greatest nap you can do is on Sunday afternoon watching Tiger Woods win another tournament. <laughs> oh, and I love to hear these guys. Look at that shot. Boy, that look at that thing. Woo. Two foot from the hole. Wow. But ain't nothing like T.O. grabbing popcorn and pointing it in his face. I love it. But get enthusiastic about it. Get enthusiastic about something. And these guys, these church guys, they get out and they do that. I mean, they even develop clubs and they ride in their boat. They compete in tournaments. But the main reason they do it is to fellowship with those that have a like passion. They have a like passion. We have a stitch and chatter group that meets here at church. They do much more chatter than they do stitching. I've watched them. <laughs> and none of them are members of our church. They've just used our church as a place to gather. And I'm so grateful. They come and they just have such a great time. That's wonderful. That's wonderful. Ninety kids come together last night. We don't have a gym. We don't have anything, you know, facility-wise to draw them. But what we've got here is Jesus, and let that draw them. Amen. And they'll have a great time because kids just like to hang out with each other. Plus, you throw a few free pizzas out in front of them. Everything looks better. You know what I'm saying? And that's that's why we bring donuts every Sunday is to get you to come to church. Amen. Jesus said in Matthew 28, "Make disciples." And then he also said, I'll, I'll be with you always to the end of the age. And in Psalm 16, verse 11, he talks about the fullness of joy is located in the presence of God with eternal pleasure at his right hand. John experienced divine joy flowing from the presence of Christ, which the Lord makes available to us as we witness for him. Paul described the privilege of possessing a great treasure in jars of clay in 2 Corinthians 4, 7. He declared that God in his great mercy gave him the ministry of sharing Christ in 2 Corinthians 4, 1. Paul found joy in the process of sharing, not just seeing a soul converted. He considered it a great honor to be entrusted with the responsibility of carrying the message to others. Oh, that you and I would catch that same passion. Oh, that you and I would catch that same zeal. Oh, that you and I would catch that same fire. Several years ago, a dad's youngest daughter went through a puzzle stage where she wanted him to help her put puzzles together every night. Often they did the same puzzles over and over again. Even if he was familiar with a puzzle, he would always place the lid uh, on the box. He would place that, that lid of the box so he could see the picture, so it would help him complete the picture. Now the daughter, she would just come, she would grab the box, and she would just dump all the pieces on the table, and then she would go about trying to make them fit. She didn't care about the picture because she was there for the process. And the process was 
the puzzle pieces had her dad sitting right there with her so she could spend some time with him. Now you see, folks, as we lead to our invitation time this morning, we need to consider process. The process. What process are we in? What process are we about? Is this something that we are excited about doing? Is this something we're enthused about doing? Is this something that we care about doing? Or is it just something that we have decided, hey, it's here, we'll do what we can do when we can do it. Or hey, you know, we have paid personnel, we have a youth minister and we have a pastor and, you know, those guys do that. Yeah, I don't need to do it, they do it. It's much more effective when we're all doing it. It's much more effective because they're going to listen to you, they're going to hear you before they'll hear me. Because when they find out I'm a pastor, the whole conversation changes. It does. But when they hear you, and when they hear your passion, people are drawn to passion, aren't they? They're drawn to it. We have a group of guys that love it. We have a little fantasy football league. Jeff Parmenter won it. Don't know how he did it, but he won it this year. And I, I really still, to this day, I can't figure out how he won that. But praise God he did. I had the best record all season. It was an anointed season. I should have won. But my pride got in the way. I started playing the wrong people at the wrong times. And Jeff, he played the right people at the right time. And I love that fantasy football league because we gripe, we complain, we hoot, we holler, we point fingers, we yap, but the bottom line is he carried the trophy home. Why? Because he played.